0: Are we on? In three, two, one, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, children of all ages, welcome to Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick. I am Tony Visick. We come to you most weeks, six days a week, 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We are your daily distraction of all the anger, anxiety, weirdness, and hoopla in the world today. Uh, the show uh, covers three main topics. It has two main topics and an overall. It's got like a, it's got like a rhythm and a melody and a backbeat. Uh, towards the end, towards the end of each of the thirty-minute programs, we recommend one artist or one piece of music from a vast vinyl album and compact disc collection. Uh, generally, we have some knick knack, doodad, falderal, thingamajig, thingamabob, uh, autograph memorabilia, something we stole out of a trash can that we show you visually, and then attempt to weave a personal story around. Of course, the visuals can only be seen on Facebook Live, and then you have to be friends with me, Tony Visick, on my personal page to see that. But we'll try to describe it as best we can for our podcast uh, aficionados. But the most important part of this program, ladies and gentlemen, are the questions and comments I get while I'm watching my own face on Facebook Live, because oftentimes those questions and comments shape the tone and tenor of the program in a far more entertaining way Anything that possibly comes out of my feeble little mind. Uh, we are uh, pleased to announce this is now the second day that we have returned to SoundCloud and Mixler and ComedySchoolsRadio.com. So you can type in to your uh, your little uh, type bar there, uh, ComedySchoolsRadio.com or ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com and listen there. Uh, you can also find us now regularly once again. On SoundCloud and Mixler. Someone suggested we go on Spotify. Uh, we may take a look at that once uh, the whole Spotify thing gets all spotted up. But right now, Spotify looks a little spotty. So uh, we will see. Uh, I personally am now uh, finished talking about uh, Joe Rogan. Uh, the issue, well, we'll finish it up here. The issue is, of course, is that it's an easy thing to talk about. It's an easy thing to talk about because it falls into the field of gossip. And gossip is the most common form of talk. Uh, it's not talking about ideas. It's not talking about things. It's talking about uh, talking about a guy. So uh, it's his turn in the bucket. Whether he belongs in the bucket or not uh, remains to be seen. Um, I think that if you go through and cherry pick 10 or 15 years of uh, conversations that a human being has had through a microphone, uh, you can find enough things to pretty much destroy your pillory. Almost anyone, or you can shape it in that way. Uh, I always have a question, and you know, did uh, Joe Rogan use the N word? And I feel like a juvenile uh, saying that N word. You said the N word. <laughs> um, but it's kind of a juvenile time. Uh, it's a word that I choose not to use. Uh, I have no interest in it. I reserve the right to use any word I damn well please, anytime I please. I'm a strong believer in free speech, but I'm also um, a decent enough and empathetic enough person. Not that empathetic, but empathetic enough to know that the uh, word is uh, extremely problematic. At the same time, if someone was to hand me uh, the book Huckleberry Finn and say we're going to pay you money to do a live reading of it, I'd have to ask myself, am I going to edit Mark Twain? Uh, Some of the greatest anti-slavery, one of the greatest anti-slavery books of the 19th century, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, would I edit that book? Are we helping ourselves by doing this? are we just in some sort of big slashing going on right now? It's, uh, I believe, day six or seven of A World Without Whoopi. (laughs) And if you're following us on Facebook, on Tony Visick V-I-C-I-C-H, just go there and become my friend there. We are doing each day how things are beginning to fall apart, how the center does not hold in a world without whoopi. I, um, I can barely remember A World Without Whoopi. I think she's like the Franklin Roosevelt of our generation. I remember hearing stories from my grandparents, great-grandparents, talking about how devastated they were when Franklin Roosevelt died and how many of them said, I can't remember a time when he wasn't president. I can't remember a time with that whoopee on the view. People go, why are you making fun of her? She's kind of more in line with you. You claim to be a liberal and she's a liberal. Uh, but I don't really know what liberal means anymore. I know what it means to me. Uh, but first off, it's just the name, Whoopi. Her name's Whoopi Goldberg. That name was put together to attract attention. It's not a real name. That's fine that she changed her name. A lot of people do. John Wayne, the original name was Marion Morrison. Uh, the great actor John Garfield, his real name wasn't uh, Garfield. Uh, that list goes on and on and on. Bob Dylan's real name is Rob was Robert Zimmerman. So there's nothing wrong with uh, an individual change her name for showbiz purposes. But she, that's a specific put together. Uh, she always had a specific put together in her look. Uh, uh, <laughs> Paul Whitney said, Paul Whitney, a regular uh, listener and contributor to the show on Facebook Live, says, and a very funny comic, by the way, along with his uh, sidekick, Slappy, says his original name, was Catherine. Catherine. Um, Whoopi first came to uh, fame doing an off-Broadway show where she played a homeless woman in a one-person show, claiming that at one time she was homeless. And I have no doubt that she was for a short period of time. Many people were. And many people have achieved incredible success from incredible lows. So I have no reason to doubt that at one time, uh, Whoopi Goldberg was homeless. And she put together a one-person show that was comedic and had a lot of pathos and a lot of drama and a lot of silliness and a lot of fun. And that's what catapulted her to fame, to a uh, incredible career. Incredible career. Sister Act two alone should solidify her for uh, an honorary Academy Award. I think everyone would agree with that. And then um, settled down into a, a career as a commentator, a commentator, On a program called The View, which airs in the morning. Uh, That was an interesting thing put together by Barbara Walters. Pointing out that most roundtable talk shows on Sunday mornings. Most roundtable talk shows. uh, uh, Most channels were comprised primarily of men. And there wasn't a lot of, and even if there was a woman on, it was the male perspective that was truly dominant. And uh, they needed some dominatrixes. (laughs) So they got whoopy. And uh, Joy Behar. Interestingly enough, too. and I don't remember if they're exact originals, but they've been around long enough. They're kind of like, uh, if they weren't originals, they're like Ronnie Wood, who was not an original member of the Rolling Stones. It's been with them a pretty, pretty long time, as Larry David would say. Um, two people who came from the world of entertainment. Joy Behar was a stand-up comedian. When I was uh, banging around New York in the uh, mid-80s, see her name, you know, on the lineups, various comedy clubs in New York. Turning up on various shows, uh, two people from the world of entertainment. So people ask me, I make fun of Whoopi, and it just—it's the name Whoopi. You know, it's um, she. She wears a costume. Uh, it is—it is an affectatious look. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's—it's it's made her a multi-multi millionaire. It's made her a household name, even in households where the household is falling apart. And I'm going to make fun of anybody, anywhere, anything, anytime, because it's something that I enjoy doing. And that a woman named Whoopi, with the last name Goldberg, made a statement that, I have a great friend, stand-up comic, a legend in his own right, Argus Hamilton, who's been at the comedy store since the mid-70s. When they write the history of the modern era of stand-up, Argus should, uh, if he doesn't have a prominent... Uh, a prominent place in history that will be an undoing. He's been present at the creation. He is is the zealot of stand-up comedy. He wrote about how at one time, uh, during my generation's early years, we were told that um, certain groups were not a race, but they were a culture and a religion. Notice I didn't say who, if anybody wants to complain. okay. We were taught that, that to combat the uh, dehumanization of a group of people by a uh, nation state, i.e. Germany, that had taken place in the 30s and 40s, there had been a step back from the concept of that group being a race. And Whoopi's about my age, okay? I mean, and it's rude to uh, point out a woman's age, but uh, I should point out how much she weighs. No, see, that's... so her comment actually comes from I don't know if it comes from ignorance. It might come from ignorance. I don't know. Maybe she's ignorant. I don't think she is, though. You don't get to where she is in life without being ignorant. You get to where I am in life uh, being ignorant. But um that it was something that was has been told to me by various groups, saying, well, it's not a race. It, it so it's a race, it's a culture, it's a religion, it's all three. You can pick and choose. It's a smorgasbord. It's a polygot. And by the way, to get away from cultural appropriation, I do not want to culturally appropriate the Swedes. So I will no longer use the word smorgasbord. And I also will not use the word buffet because I believe that's French. And I do not want to culturally appropriate the French. Uh, I also, that's why I refuse to eat snails. And so from now on, I will just call... um, uh, when I go into a restaurant, and there's a bunch of food sitting out under dull lights that uh, is beginning to coagulate. I'll just call it a tomain table. No longer a smorgasbord, no longer a buffet. It's a tomain table. Tomain Tony ate at the tomain table. So um, I just I'm kind of done talking about that. It, it's really a way to eat up a lot of our hard drive and to get us all turning on one another. As a matter of fact, I talked about it too long. So right now, I give myself the stick a cork in it. Stick a cork in it prize by the way when someone puts something up on Facebook live a question or comment that we think uh, should not be on then they get to see I verbally have a, uh, a wine cork in my hand I've got a whole bag of them all right I might start signing them and sending them to people and put Paul Whitney's name right on the top of this cork and go here stick a cork in it I just gave myself a uh, stick a cork at a prize let's move on to the next topic uh, which is uh, not nearly as controversial, although none of those topics are actually controversial. Uh, they're just designed to uh, gin us up, uh, juice us up. Just We're going to be gin and juiced by uh, these multimillionaires who might lose a couple million bucks. Uh, do you think Charlie Rose, since he was kicked off of his show on PBS, is eaten out of a dumpster someplace? you think Bill O'Reilly's had to go on, uh, on the welfare? you think that? Do you think that, huh? Huh? Do you think Chris Como right now is panhandling down um, down in front of the, the half price tickets kiosk in Times Square? No. No. They're doing better than any of us if we all got together and then we're able to multiply our current incomes by 10. I don't weep for these people. I weep for a nation that... Uh, I don't weep for a nation. Why would I weep for a nation? Um, it's stupid. I just said a stupid thing. Paul says, what about poor Matt Lauer? We could get into Matt Lauer, but I want to move off all that stuff today. I want to get something that I want to talk about. So let's get to that. Uh, rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the rock and roll. And anybody who listens to listen to the show knows that a big part of it is talking about music. We don't play music because we don't have the money for music clearances. So um, uh, there's a uh, young, uh, newer comic in town named Solomon Diaz who said when he first heard it, he goes, talk about music. But then he, when he heard the way we talk about it, he goes, okay, now I get it. Now I get it, because we give you a lot of the background on uh, (coughs) a lot of great stuff in the history of music. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame came out with its nominees recently. Um, I just watched uh, the most recent uh, taping of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where LL Cool J was put in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. LL Cool J is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm not saying that LL Cool J shouldn't be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but it's altogether possible that there are people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that should not be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because what they're doing is not really rock or rock and roll. It's not that their music isn't great. It's not that their genre is not valid, okay? But you're not going uh, to put Benny Goodman in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He played swing jazz, swing jazz. So he's not going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You're not going to put Mozart in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's not rock and roll. So what seems to be happening for a number of years now. After hitting a lot of the biggies, the Beatles and the Stones, you know, and uh, um, uh, all the giant giants, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was becoming probably a little less relevant because let's face it, since about the early mid-90s, rock and roll or rock music, which had dominated the airwaves of American radio stations, um, for decades, for decades, but was now being pushed aside by a new type of uh, uh, music that had been around for a while, rap music, but the uh, hard edge uh, gangster rap being brought to us by Dre and Jay-Z and Rick Rubin. Uh, really exciting, vital music full of uh man, you want to talk about, uh, if you want to start canceling people over words, who don't? Listen to some of that. Listen to some of that. And know that, you know, there were white sound engineers in the room and stuff, so, who made money off of it, so, I don't know. Anyway, it began to get pushed out, and became less relevant. So, for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to survive as an institution, it had to become a little bit more ecumenical. Look at that, I use like a church word when talking about music. Um, And then I started thinking about, well, who is in the Rock and Roll Fame, and who isn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And I came across this article, and this really disturbed me. Uh, It was in Variety. It said, has the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame moved on from 50s and 60s artists? And it lists out a lot of the artists who are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Matter of fact, a huge amount of artists that are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And keep in mind, there are a lot of people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame who are not rock and roll at all. Um, The biggest one that really stood out to me was that Steppenwolf, Steppenwolf is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Steppenwolf. Now, Steppenwolf did not have the same longevity and depth of work of, say, Led Zeppelin or the Stones or um, uh, the Eagles, okay? But they had a powerful and profound impact on American music in the late 60s. Their song, Born to be Wild, blasted out of American radios and into kids' hearts, minds, and ears with the same sort of dynamic power from its first snare drum beat that Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone did. The song is, some people credit it as the the, uh, precursor to heavy metal. It is the first known song where the term heavy metal is used as a lyric heavy metal thunder Uh, they went on to have other huge hits including uh, Magic Carpet Ride, Sookie Sookie uh, and a a few others um, Rock Me Baby they were as ubiquitous on the radio and on television now then as any artist you can think of now Yet somehow, somehow, are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, So, uh, Kerry Wayne Eaker says, it's just wrong as Magic Carpet Ride uh, started. Yeah, actually, I think the the word heavy metal thunder is in Barnaby Wild. Barnaby Wild came out before Magic Carpet Ride, but massive hits. Important, important in changing the music, helping to make the music along with the doors a little darker, a little deeper, a little more... Uh, dangerous, um, great songs that still stand up today and are still played on the radio. They are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, there's little personal ones of mine. Blue Cheers, not in the rock, rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They only had one really big hit, and that was uh, they did a uh, psychedelic version of Summertime Blues, but it was one of the most unusual things you ever heard. Canned Heat. Canned Heat is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The guys who made famous the song On the Road Again. The guys who uh, had had this great song Going Up the Country. The guys who worked with so many blues legends, and brought so many blues legends. Uh, There's a story, I forget which blues legend it was, where uh, he'd been working in a warehouse or a gas station, and he was discovered by a record company to go, this guy's still around, (coughs) and got members of Canned Heat to teach him his own songs again. John Lee Hooker, I believe. Hooker and Heat. Hooker and Heat. You know, a seminal album in the formation of rock music. Canned Heat, and of course, their version of Woodstock being an incredibly popular song. The song that opens up <coughs> the movie Woodstock. They're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Joe Cocker is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Country Joe and a Fish is not in the Spencer Davis group. Delaney and Bonnie. Delaney and Bonnie, not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um other ones, you know, like I'm I'm a fan of the easy beats. They had that song uh Friday on my mind. Got no lover in the city. Um I'm trying to see the Flying Burrito Brothers are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I love the Flying Burrito Brothers. We've talked about them a lot on this show. We will talk about them again. Once again, these are um foundational. Steppenwolf was a foundational band. Uh The Flying Breeder Brothers are a foundational band. Jerry and the Pacemakers are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't think Jerry and the Pacemakers should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, Well, maybe they should be. I mean, they they were part of that big British invasion. You know, the first big British invasion started with the Beatles and the Stones and the Dave Clark Five and Jerry and the Pacemakers and Freddie and the Dreamers and on and on and on and on. Every week we were delighted, delighted by what seemed to be these magical people coming to us one after another from England. They had some really big hit songs, uh, and a lot of really great women singers just passed over. Um, Marianne Faithful totally passed over. Connie Francis, Leslie Gore, Um, yeah, Herman's Hermits are not in the Rock and Roll Hall. Humble Pie, not in the Rock and Roll. Iron Butterfly, and I'm going to end this diatribe about uh, who's not in the rock. That Iron Butterfly is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the height of uh, stupidity. It's mendacity. Iron Butterflies In A Gata De Vida took a hold of an entire generation for about two or three years. This incredibly long song that really, uh, as we went into the, um, uh, ending the late 60s and the early 70s and the long, I guess the first long song was like a Rolling Stone, about five minutes, a little over five minutes long. People said radio stations won't play it, but they did. It was a huge hit. But as far as like full side songs, Songs that went 8, 10, 12, 16, 15 minutes. The big, bad, booyah, mac daddy motherfucker of all of them was Iron Butterfly's Inigata DeVita, incorporating something that had been in jazz for a long time, which is each instrument soloing, including the bass player and the drummer. And uh, if you were a kid in that era, the one thing you would get caught doing at a teen dance hall was asking a girl to dance when Inigata DeVita started. You finally lurched towards her. You're standing around, and go, I'm gonna ask her to dance. I'm scared, I'm scared. And you do. You "You want to dance? She goes, Yeah. And you go, Oh, God. So now you're out there dancing the drum solo, looking like an ass. But this was a song that chewed up the airwaves. Uh, It was also vital contributors to the heavy sound that so dominated rock into the 70s until we got to the uh, sort of Southern California style. Uh, epitomized by Linda Ronstadt and the Eagles. These are important bands, and that they're not in, and there are people now who definitely are not rock and roll, are, uh, uh, are being chosen for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, really kind of takes away, I think, from the, I guess for a long time the gravitas of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has been, um, uh, has been eroding as so many of our institutions, the Olympics and rock and roll. But um, I just thought I'd point that out. If Steppenwolf and Iron Butterfly, I'm not going to say that that they're songs that you would listen to today and dance to and go out and buy right away. Um, uh, My friends, I have uh, have a friend in Duran Duran. They're nominated this year. I hope they get in. Um, I will be frank with you. When Duran Duran first came along, they were not um, the type of music I was into at the time. There wasn't a lot I was into at the time that was coming out. But they were early MTV and fascinating. But those songs have had longevity. And the more I listen to Duran Duran songs, the more I love them and realize how well they're put together. Uh, so I hope that they make it in. But if if Joe Cocker's not in the Rock, rock and Roll of Fame and Steppenwolf and Iron Butterfly, I got to really ask, what are you guys doing, man? Come on. Find a way. Find a way. Find a way to stay relevant by getting artists who stretch the boundaries of what rock and rock and roll is, so you can get eyes you know, on screens, do that, but at the same time, uh, have a little integrity with what you're doing, okay? All right. Uh, hey, we got great stuff coming up this weekend. Uh, we do, we do, we do, we do, we do. Uh, we got some weird stuff going on, not weird. We're gonna do a show Sunday night at JP's Comedy Club. Now why is that a big deal? <coughs> Sunday night, Class Clowns, longest running comedy showcase, in the greater Phoenix area, takes place this Sunday, February 13th, our pre-Valentine show at J.P.'s Comedy Club, jpscomedyclub.com. The reason it's weird is because it's also Super Bowl Sunday. People go, Tone, why are you doing a show on Super Bowl Sunday? Well, I've got a certain schedule i got to run, and I have a certain belief system. If I canceled a show every time there was a larger event taking place in a neighborhood, a city, a state, a country then um, uh, my event, than I would never do an event. My very first class clown show took place the night of game one of the World Series here in Phoenix, Arizona, when the Arizona Diamondbacks were playing their first ever World Series game. You know, people, oh, you should cancel that. No one's going to come. Well, people came out. So this Sunday, um, if you're in the greater Phoenix area and you're not interested in the Rams and you're not Interested in the Cincinnati Bengals, and I think a lot of people should be interested in the Rams, but not a lot of people should be interested in the Cincinnati Bengals. Because I mean, it's the Bengals. The only thing they've ever had going for them are cool helmets. Um, come on out 7:30, uh, 7 p.m. to JP's Comedy Club, jpscomedyclub.com. We're gonna have a great show for you. Uh, Monday, uh, February 14th, we're having a free intro door workshops, so you can check that out. The following week, February 21st, I will be doing class one of my workshops with a free Zoom intro. So if you're interested, we're going to be setting up to tell you how you can get the Zoom link. Uh, what we're going to do, instead of having a separate Zoom class, we're going to set up the video. the actual like if you were just you know watching a classroom, but it's me teaching class one. And we're going to tell you I can do that if you're in another part of the country and you're interested in what we're doing. Uh, oh, I was looking for something. Hold on. Don't go anywhere. All right? Hold on. Once again, if you're not, um, if you're not on Facebook Live, and I'm not, I'm not trying to sell Facebook to anybody, you won't be able to see this, but check this out. This is the galley for our book, Six Steps to Stand-Up Comedy. Finally, after 20 years, I finally got into putting some of the things that I teach down. Um, we got a few more things to do, a few more edits, and then we will be taking pre-orders for... Six Steps to Stand-Up Comedy, my, um, my simple uh, book that uh, will not, it's not going to teach you how to be funny. You're already funny, but it's going to show you steps that will benefit you if you're going to speak publicly and your desire is to make people laugh. So we've got all that going for you. And, of course, great shows all weekend at J.P.'s Comedy Club, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We want to thank The Roost for hosting us last Friday night out here in Maricopa. We had a fantastic time. Kabari Edie closed the show I also want to thank David Sanchez, special guest Jeff Morrill, uh, Cricket Gill, Liz Friesius, and me. And that's uh, a live, local, fun, and free. If you ever find yourself in Maricopa, and the only reason any of you would be in Maricopa is if you're coming out to visit me. And um, we got so many damn cats in this house right now, I don't know if I got spice for you. <laughs> but if you ever find yourself out here every other Friday, great show. The owner, Ralph, is a great guy. It's a great, fun place, okay? Let's get to the music that we're going to recommend today. And I had it right here. And then I lost it, okay? And uh, it's also Black History Month, but that's not why I'm recommending this music. I'm recommending this music because I love this music, and I just dropped it on the floor. Look, I keep disappearing. All right, we're back. Um, This is from... This is Muddy Waters Hard Again. Muddy Waters Hard Again. Now, this record was made in 1977. It was made in 1977, which is already a million years ago. But when it was made, it was late in the life and career of legendary blues king, Muddy Waters. And this was put together, produced by another legend of blues, Johnny Winter. Johnny Winter so loved Muddy Waters Johnny Winter wanted to be Muddy Waters when he was a kid. Johnny Winter's a uh, albino heroin addict who could play the blues like nobody else. His version of Johnny B. Good, I think, is one of the most dynamic outside of Chuck's himself. Produced this record. On this record is, hold on, I got to get it back out. Okay, is. Playing, singing and playing, Muddy Waters vocals and guitar, Johnny Winter guitar, James Cotton Harp, Pine Top Perkins on piano, Bob Margolin on guitar, Charlie Camus on drums, and uh, Willie Big Eye Smith on drums. But to hear Muddy Waters and Johnny Winter together is truly a stunning, stunning moment. Now, Muddy Waters had done the song we're going to recommend today, which is Manish Boy, originally in 1955. He'd recorded it several different times. Uh, He was with Chess Records for years. Uh, They recorded, re-recorded in 1968 trying to grab uh, the rock crowd because so many of the uh, now legendary rock musicians were playing Muddy's music and his type of music, including Zeppelin, The Stones, The Doors. If it wasn't for those British bands, those post-invasion bands, uh, Led Zeppelin and uh, uh, Cream, you know, and, and groups like that, uh, and also including uh, the Rolling Stones. I don't know if we would know Muddy Water's name. They they revived his music and gave it to a much wider audience. But the song we're going with today is Manish Boy, and you all know it because not only is it one of the greatest blues songs ever done, but it's also the one most parodied because it's na-na-na-na. na 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 When I was a young boy. na 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 And it's pretty much just that throughout the whole song. But it grabs you. It grabs you by the throat. It grabs you by the heart. And it grabs you between the legs. Okay. And the song, I always wondered, why is this song so powerful? All right. So it was kind of an answer to Howlin' Wolf's I'm a Man. But also, uh, when Muddy recorded uh, Manish Boy for the first time, he had just migrated from the Deep South to Chicago. And in the deep south, no black man was called man. They were all called boy. You know, to the chafing, horrible chagrin and humiliation, that was the attempt always to do it, to not give them the moniker of man. So uh, my alarm's going off. I think I have to get up from a nap. Um, And he wrote this song, I'm a man, full-grown man. So even the the song is just charged full of sexual bragging. That's what it is. You know, I can make love to any woman in 5 minutes time. Na, 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 na. The song is just sexual braggadocio throughout, but at the same time I'm a man, I'm a man. So it is a combination of a fun, sexy, playful, joking around, yet hot sexual innuendo song, and at the same time a political statement saying I am not a boy, I am a man. I am somebody. And you know what? You're somebody too. All right, that's our show for the day. I hope you liked it. I hope you enjoyed watching it. Was this goofier? You know what? I hit the show a little more planned out today. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> All right. Remember, we'll be back tomorrow with more thrilling tales from yesteryear right here on Living on a Thin Line. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. You know, the 2D CDs don't have the fucking CD in them.